Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. Dr. Oz, thanks for coming on this abbreviated episode of Bulletproof Radio. I got to ask you something. And by the way, I'm not going to introduce Dr. Oz. If you don't know who he is, what the heck? What's wrong with you? (laughs) All right. (laughs) From there. I've been seeing a lot of ads lately that say you're endorsing a huge variety of things like uh, uh, pills that double your IQ, make you live to 5,000 and give you both length and girth. Why are you behind all these things? <laughs> so the uh, the initial resp- reaction to almost anyone who interviews me, of course, they have to do a little homework on me. They right. Google me. And as soon as you Google me, then Google knows you're interested in me. And the advertisers who uh, make fake uh, products will immediately troll into it. And they start saying, I'm going to make you smarter, more beautiful, make your skin look nicer. You can lose some weight while you're at it. Your bones get stronger. And it goes on and on and on. And I think they come after me because I never sell anything. I literally don't sell a single product. <laughs> and yet I, you know, I, I think when I say things, people react to them. There's a thing called the Oz effect, which I did not coin. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a bunch of different journals have written about it. And it happens because I try to say what I think is important. People react to it. They um, respond by doing the things I say. By the way, it doesn't just apply to, you know, eating, eating kale or buying quinoa or even learning how to spell quinoa. <laughs> All of which, by the way, were things that I I, I proudly pushed forward on. But I, we're, I think, still the number one show in daytime for political advertising. Wow. Because my audience tends to be information-seeking folk who influence their compatriots, their families, they're the mm-hmm. chief family officer, so to speak. And in fact, there's a website uh, written by a, a bunch of spouses called IHateDrOz.com. Because because <laughs> their their wives have tortured them with the advice I give them, <laughs> or, or their moms, or their kids, or whoever. And Interestingly, the internet, the wild, wild west that it's become, it, it makes it really worthwhile to take people's names and images and use them to sell products because it's not really illegal on the internet. You know, I could potentially go after these folks if I could even find them, but right. the people who serve those ads, Google in particular, they, they actually won't let you find out who's buying the advertising. Wow. And so you don't really have much of a chance of stopping it. And this is by the way, the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you might not feel sorry for me because you know, I have a television show and so I have revenue that pays the bills, but there are other people who get taken advantage of who don't really have a chance. I'll give you an example, child sex trafficking. And child sex trafficking is a big problem in this country. Actually, there are 200,000 girls around the world who are trafficked. Wow. And it is in part stimulated because of internet advertising, because in this country, it's legal to sell children online. You, you may not know that, uh, but you probably should. It's legal or just not illegal? No, it's legal. I mean, wow. what's the difference? If I, if I sue you for selling my daughter online and I lose, is that legal or not? Okay. That sounds like it's legal to me. Yeah. So when the sheriff of Chicago sells, uh, you know, sues Backpage.com, which very clearly sells minors online and loses, when over and over again in litigation, uh, these cases are won by Backpage.com with the support of the major tech companies in America, by the way, it becomes disheartening. And it's all related. So here's the thing, the global story here that you really should understand, and then we'll move to health and feeling good about life, is if you allow people to falsely advertise and hide who they are, which by the way, who, who hides the sources of their revenue? Criminal organizations. Yep. So that that then gives rise to fake news because fake news is really about people selling advertising. So if I can sell fake stuff and I don't get punished, and then I can make fake stories up about those fake things, fake ads, and then I can actually tell fake stories about immigrants coming across 
huge tunnels under the wall uh, between Mexico and the US, which doesn't exist. But let's say I make that story up because it gets people to click. Clickbait then drives more sales. And just so you're clear, these are not mom and pop little setups. These are America's best companies saying, move my shoes, my product, and I'll pay you. I don't care how you do it. And then the how you do it part is the fake news, the fake ad, et cetera. And then of course you make fake FTC notices. So you actually begin to fund political candidates like if you're from Russia, you get to do it because no one can tell it's you doing it. Wow. Or at least they won't tell anybody. And then you take it even one step further. Now you can actually just sell children, people online because there's no real way to protect it. Now, what's the root of this? It wasn't bad people. None of these people, by the way, are evil people. They're people taking advantage of clear loopholes in the way we allow advertising to take place on, on the web. And it was all because in 1996, at the birth of the whole process, we decided that we would not consider websites liable for what they put on them because you couldn't hold a billboard liable for someone who sticks a little notice up there about selling children or Dr. Oz's weight loss supplement fake product. So it allowed the internet to prosper. Well, now we're in a place where I don't think anyone would really think that the major people serving ads on the internet, Facebook, Google, et cetera, are dumb billboards. They know exactly who you are. They're targeting you specifically. They have the ability to know who's paying them what. And I fought this battle for my entire career. Oprah and I have spent millions of dollars on this and we can't get ahead of it. And most people listening to this podcast are still not gonna really believe I don't sell products because it's so ubiquitous, how could I let it happen? I'm here to tell you that it will happen to you, it's influencing you now, and unless you stick up a little bit for transparency of money on the web and its destructive influence on how we get information, how can the New York Times compete with major internet sources of news that don't have to follow the same rules as the New York Times follows? It's a problem. I mean, I'm a very small brand compared to you, and I've got almost 20 books on Amazon that say they're the Bulletproof Diet by fake name authors. They say things that aren't Bulletproof, don't adhere to this in them. And people can't, I mean, they can tell it has my name on it, it's real. But these other ones look like they're part of it. And I've had my attorneys go after these guys. Amazon won't tell me who they are. I don't, I can't get them. Yeah. And it's like, it's a registered trademark. Like there's laws, but there's this layer of invincibility. So you're saying this is affecting health information for everyone out there. And you're actually taking a lot of heat for it. But people don't know this. When I first met you, I came out to your office. You're a, a real practicing surgeon. Like you don't mess around. You're saying, I, I'm lucky I have a TV show. You're a very successful, well-paid surgeon without a TV show. You didn't need to do Dr. Oz. Why did you do Dr. Oz, even though you were already at the top of your game? Well, I, I still have a day job. I'm still in the yeah. faculty at Columbia, and I am very proud of my affiliation with New York Presbyterian. I go to the operating room once a week. I'm a heart surgeon. Yeah. Uh, I years ago began to realize that much of what I was doing was addressing ailments that were preventable. And it it is literally and figuratively disheartening when you go in there to do a heart transplant or a bypass operation on somebody who could have avoided the need for your services. Yeah. I mean, again, Dave, I, I take a bandsaw and open people's sternums, their chest bones. Mm -hmm. So it's not minor procedures here. And to know that you could have eaten differently, exercised alternatively, taken a few medications differently and avoided all this is really a problem. So my wife, like most strong-willed women, was tired of hearing me whine about this. <laughs> and started producing a show. Remember the Visine commercials? Yeah. Those are her eyes. Oh, wow. Yeah, those, my wife's eyes were very <laughs> sensitive, so they turned red and they, they, they quickly get better with Visine. So those residuals were very effective, by the way, impactful on my early life because I didn't have much money coming in as a resident. <laughs> in any case, she began producing shows. My first show was on Discovery Channel uh, called Second Opinion. It was 13 hours documentary about the human body. Uh, my first guest, I needed someone who was a big name, was Oprah. And why she came on, both of us so laugh about. Gail King probably, is, the, is it's her fault uh. because she connected us and compelled Oprah to show up for what she thought was a worthy cause. 
we had a great time. I began doing her show, ended up doing it about 80 times, learned a lot about how to talk to people about stuff, period. But You learn from the best, right? She is the best, fairest mentor you could ever have. And all along was sort of nudging me to just do more, to get outside the ivory tower of Columbia University and start giving folks information. Because listen, America hadn't gotten a message about health because we hadn't given it to you. And we actually, you know, it's, it gets, it's very safe in the hospital. You're protected by all your brethren. You, you get to go to the OR every day. You get well paid. It's all nice. But I, I think we have a civic responsibility to speak out on issues that matter. I began making the show. It's our 10th season coming up. Uh, I've been educated a lot, done things that I, that I would never imagine possible. But it's been a wonderful journey. And the most valuable part of it all is that when you hear back from folks who say, listen, I didn't really have a doctor. I didn't even have insurance. The things that you you said on the show have changed my thoughts about my blood sugar, my high blood pressure, all my pain syndrome, my addiction to opiates, whatever it may have been. Uh, you learn to tell stories on television. You know, the narrative that you craft is one that that is a, is a hopeful one. I listen. You can control your destiny. I'm I'm more optimistic about the health of America than ever before. I see major shifts already in a positive direction. We have a children's charity called Health Corps that teaches kids about their bodies. Mm-hmm. And of course, childhood obesity, mental health issues, et cetera. But these, these are energetic young people now and they're understanding what the rules are. And if you know what to do, that's part of the way. You gotta get motivated. You have to get sure. past the fear of, of trying to change. All that's important. And we spend time on that in the show. But it's, at its very core, if I can get you to believe in yourself and move past, past the nihilism that you, I, and many others suffer uh, with audiences who, again, have given up hope, don't think they can do it, then all of a sudden the world's a little bit rosier. That is profound. And I know we're short on time. I got to ask you one more question that's been on every episode, all 500 of them on Bulletproof Radio. Someone comes to you tomorrow and they say, look, Dr. Oz, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being. What are your three most important pieces of advice? What would you offer them? Uh, first off, eat food that comes out of the ground looking the way it looks when you eat it. Real food. Nice. Don't overcomplicate it. You can eat other stuff too, but 80% of what you eat ought to just be real, regular, old-fashioned food that doesn't even need a label on it. Okay. Um, second, you've got to have some type of a physical activity plan that builds up your strength so, so you avoid the frailty. That's probably the major driver of not just aging, but death in America. Yeah. I and mean, if I get rid of all the cancer, I don't think we'd live more than three years extra. What hurts us is we can't get the treatment anymore. We're not strong enough. And avoiding frailty could be yoga, Pilates, lifting weights. It could be also picking up a bucket, going gardening. It could be anything. You look around the world at places where people live a long time. They have daily rigorous activity. That's what you want. And the third takeaway is you you gotta have a reason to keep your heart beating, a reason for your heart to keep moving along, pumping, because it's the purpose, it's the, the, um, the, uh, the experience that drives us to go further. I'm always amazed that we are gifted with this incredible body, the temple of our soul. And so many of us ignore the deeper realities of what that affords us. I mean, if your eyes can see millions of different colors, all you have to do is look up, but you do have to look up. And that's something you control. So purpose ends up becoming a major driver. And I'm passionate about this because I think if most people appreciated those three basic pillars and wouldn't overcomplicate it, they just feel better every single day. Yeah, of course they'd live longer, but they'd feel better today which is yeah. ideally what most of us desire. That's the good life. That's the life we really want to have. It, it's all about today. Do you have a, a mission statement, a personal one, like a massive purpose? You mentioned having a purpose, a reason for your heart to keep beating. What's yours? My purpose for most of my life was to teach surgeons how to save lives, which seems simplistic, but that's what I did. I'm a, you know, I'm a teacher. Right. And I would take young, energetic residents who were obviously super smart. They had 
gone through med school and qualified for a residency. And I taught them how to save people's lives. And I think now my main goal is transitioning to getting people to realize that they are the world experts on their bodies, which is a, a, a compliment, but it's also an obligation. So yeah, other people can help you, but ultimately you got to show up in your own life to make it happen. But you can. It's yours to have if you want it. Wow. Well, I'm uh, I'm right there with you, uh, and I'll, I'll support that mission any way I can because you are one of the just most kind and generous and real uh, human beings I've come across. And everyone has a, a media persona and all that stuff. And and we've gotten to talk enough times off camera and all that stuff. I see you help everyone around you, and you do it consistently and without asking for anything back. And so I'm, I'm happy to just have you on the show and to hear the story about how your name gets misused and, <laughs> and, and all that sort of stuff, because I, I mean, you, I, I know the reality of this stuff. And, and I mean, if anyone in the medical community deserves respect for creating change, it's you because you've, you've nailed it. Well, you're kind of say all those things. And I, I don't mind being in the kitchen. It gets hot in here sometimes, yeah. but that's part of the deal. And I think you have an obligation, all of us do. Uh, it's a little less comfortable when you stick out your, your neck. And if you're the only one to put your hands up, you will get shot. That's why what you're doing, and I'm hoping, and I'm seeing it from a lot of other folks in the health field as well. When we all put our hands up, you can't treat everybody. Exactly. And so it makes the process a little more enjoyable. But uh, at its very core, it feels good. You know, we're, I talked a little bit at, a, at an event we're at together about the fact that there's this life that we all have that we where we desire to, to balance our work and our intimacy, our work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a lie because if you want to be better than everybody else, you got to be different. If you, are, if you truly are ambitious and at the same time you crave intimacy, so you can't be the same and different at the same time. Right. So when you try to do both at the same time, you try to get to the top of this little mound, but it's not very easy to get there nor stay there. The exception is when you give, when you, when you contribute, because then you grow. And it is the underlying reason why our species evolved the way it has. Our brains could have done all that we do to survive with much less power. Mm -hmm. But 70,000 years ago, when we somehow got our way out of Africa. Our brains were able to process and believe in things bigger than ourselves. And it was that ability to believe in things you couldn't even see that allowed us to cobble together families into larger groups and then tribes and then ultimately armies even. So not always for good purposes, but at least we could come together. And this is a, a, a critical period in human history where we have to revisit those roots and build those social frames, those networks that quilt, that has always been the safety net to humanity. And when we forget our role in there, when we forget that we're a raindrop falling into the ocean uh, of, our, of our humanity, then we begin to falter. Fantastic. Do you have time for one more question? Take it away. All right. On stage at this event, you talked about how you're doing a bunch of, a, a bunch of awareness things uh, with Turkish Airlines. And one of the things you mentioned on stage was you're starting to tell patients to wear sunglasses when they fly for jet lag, which is my favorite trick. Tell everyone listening what you think about using sunglasses for jet lag. I just did it because you look cool. <laughs> <laughs> so he here's the deal. Uh, jet, jet lag is an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, most people will acknowledge it's easier to travel west than east. Yeah. That's because our circadian rhythm is really 25 hours. So we have a little longer than a, than a 24 hour cycle. So when you go to the west, you stay up an extra hour, it's not a big deal. Going east is painful because yeah. now you're having to go a little further than you normally would want to do. So you have to tell your brain that it's nighttime earlier. And we know that light is a poison, if not used correctly, but it's a valuable tool in medicine if you use it correctly. Putting sunglasses on allows the evening to appear to come earlier so you can shift your cycle a little bit and by blocking out some of those bright blue light rays. So you want to use light 
And you know, some glasses are a way of doing it. There are other tactics that work as well. But you should program your trips. All of you listening right now, take advantage of technologies. I mean, there's apps now that do this for you right. that tell you exactly when there's when there were their sunglasses or shut the light out, what time to go to bed, what time you see the light in the morning. Because if you go to a different site, you don't see the light early in the day, you can't reset your circadian rhythm so you don't fall asleep that evening. So it right. takes you, you know, five days to get on the new uh, time period where you could have done it in a day. It's going to be uncomfortable sometimes the next morning, but generally speaking, you can hack your body to get back on track within a day if you know what you're doing. Well, that's a giant offering. So many people listen to the show who would travel a lot, and certainly I do. So thanks for talking about light. Uh, light and food are those two big nutrients. Dr. Oz, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Thanks, Dave. Take care. Good luck to you, man. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.